0: well uh here you are your your friends are on the lake or camping somewhere Frank is in Hawaii and you're here with me congratulations uh my name is Sean. I'm a pastoral resident here and I get the opportunity to to share with you guys this morning if you're wondering what a pastoral resident is uh, kind of think think about it through the lane the lens of uh, like a doctoral residency you know once you get your school done you want to get the the right environment um uh, to be around, and so that's, uh, that's me here, my wife here at, at Redemption Church, and so that's, that's what I'm doing and I have the opportunity to do to serve because uh, we believe God has um, wholeheartedly called us to plant a church, and um, kind of through the process of God laying on my heart to plant this church, um, you know, it kind of pushed us to the west side, and so we're really excited about that. Um, and so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. Here's what we're going to do uh, this morning. Uh, if you have not been in redemption for a while, you don't know a lot about redemption. We are one church and we have uh, many congregations. Now the reason I say that is because normally as congregations, being one church, we go through the same thing on Sunday. So we've been going through Romans forever. The last month we've been doing the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. Uh, across the board in every single congregation, we decided to take these five weeks and just say, hey, congregation specific, teach on what you want to teach on. And so what that looks like for us, different congregations have different things for us, is today we are going to start a new series called uh, called God's Faithfulness. And here's why we're going to do this, okay? Going through the book of Romans, there has been an insane amount of language that's been hard for us to get our minds around at time. And, and going into chapters 10 and 11, it, it is only going to get worse. So when we begin to talk about Israel and grafted in and, and the Gentiles, what all that looks like, for us to begin to ask the question immediately and say, okay, where are we coming from here? And we get questions all the time. How can you, can we do a broad overview of what the Bible looks like? So we decided to take five weeks and go through the Old Testament, specifically honing in on the people of God. So for the next five weeks, as you can see on the screen, we're going to do God's promise, uh, his, how he's fa- his faithfulness in promise, his faithfulness in forming a people, his faithfulness when his people rebelled, his faithfulness uh, when those people went into exile, and his faithfulness in bringing them back to himself, okay? And it's really important you understand why we're doing this and, and, and kind of grab on because it's going to be like a tour guide through Hollywood. We're going to point out different things along the way, but more than anything, you just need to get this story on you, man. Okay. Um, If you could imagine with me for a second, and this is just, this is totally a, a made up story, but pretend you're watching the news and you see this man and he is traveling the country and in cold blood, just murdering people. And you come to find out him murdering these people, he is killing anyone who's not American. He's a 20 year old white male going around in cold blood, a racist, bigot, prejudiced man going around just murdering anybody who's not American. And as you watch this story, you look at this story, and you think to yourself, that man deserves to be punished because justice needs to be served here. And you would be right, like totally true. But let's say as you continue to watch this story unfold day after day, day after day, week after week, you come to find out that this 20-year-old man was actually kidnapped when he was five years old. And he was kidnapped by a man who for the next 15 years put racist propaganda in front of him every single day. And he trained this kid that eventually became a man to hate everybody who's not American and love Americans strictly. He, in this, took him from his parents and made him this bigot racist, okay? Well, suddenly, the way we understand the story, though we still think he needs to be punished, we go from being actively against to kind of passively against, right? I mean, in that moment we think, man, like, Wow. Okay. He was taken though. Since he was a little kid, he was trained like this. Suddenly sympathy enters in. Well, then let's say you continue to follow this story. And it's an awesome story to open up uh, this morning on on Memorial Day weekend, right? Um, Okay. You continue the story and you come to find out that this kid that was kidnapped when he was five is your son. It happens to be your kid that was kidnapped when he was five years old. He was trained up to be a racist bigot and kill all these people. Now suddenly, your perspective on the story, because you have more knowledge about the story, doesn't it go from being actively against to, to passively against? Now suddenly, you're kind of actively, passively for. Now wait a minute, man, that's my boy. He was taken when he was five years old. He doesn't deserve that. He was, he was tricked and he was manipulated and brainwashed suddenly because we understand the story things change. Now, I, I just want you to grab from that analogy and understand the importance of getting the background because as soon as this story, God's, God's story of his people comes to the forefront of our mind, the more we understand, the, the more we get our history, it changes the way we view the presence. It changes the way we view the New Testament. Suddenly it becomes our story. I mean, this is because if we get, you know, if we get lost and we don't know what we're talking about, we go to like crazy land. I mean, when people don't know their Bible well, they start making up crazy things. And I don't know if you've been, like, I've been around this in the charismatic movement. Crazy things, okay? And I've seen this firsthand when we don't know our Bible, we begin to manipulate and show and do. And honestly, what it is last week, right after church, I go home and I wanted to catch the, the, a, a piece of the uh, first game of the Pacers Uh, heat game and so I turn it on it's on channel 15 but when I turn the TV on it's on channel 10 on Fox and uh men in black is on if you don't know what men in black is it's this hilarious action sci-fi movie about aliens with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and um and it turns on I turn on the TV and it's the part where there's this little four inch alien inside of this like this head this mechanical fake human okay and uh my, my, my son Titus and my son Corbin are sitting there when I turn on the TV and they look at this part and they catch this brief glimpse of this movie and Titus is done for okay for like the next week all like he can't be alone in a room he's afraid of this little alien that's four inches he cannot and he's like he's always saying I'm scared I'm like dude first of all it's a movie it's a little puppet too it's this big I mean what is he going to do uh Okay, well, my mom comes into town, and he, he knows that he watched this Men in Black movie, and he's scared of it. My mom's asking, hey, what, what movie do you guys want to watch? She's trying to get the boys to get there whenever she's babysitting and uh, them, and Candace and I get to go out. And, and Titus, all he knows about Men in Black is he just keeps telling her, I don't like black men. I don't, I don't like black men. Okay, now my mom comes to me and says, what are you doing with my grandson? So now I have to explain to my mom why I'm not a racist, okay, explain, no, no, wait a minute, he means men in black, he doesn't, he doesn't know, but because he saw a clip of the story, he doesn't know the title, he doesn't know how it all plays together, he goes to crazy. He's, he got, you see what I'm, so the point is by us stepping into the story, understanding how it unfolds, understanding where it began today, specifically seeing where it went is so imperative to our faith in understanding Jesus Christ. And it connects way more than you would allow it to at times. Sometimes we look at the old Testament as something that was written. It doesn't have anything to do and you are wrong. It has everything to do with the story of God's people. So here's, here's how I want to do it in talking about God's promises. you're in, uh, Genesis, You're in Genesis 12 right now, but I want to go, you don't have to flip there, but let me just explain this. If you were to flip to the back of your Bible and you were to go to the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, you would find a man named Stephen, most likely on his knees, praying to God, saying, God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, okay? He's bloody because these men who are circling around him are literally taking stones and throwing at him as they pelt him at him with the intent of killing him. Their goal in this moment is to stone him to death. And the reason they're doing this is because they're Jewish men. And this man, Stephen, now bloody on his knees, pleading to God for these men, being killed in this moment, has just told them that their identity wrapped up in Judaism, their story going through this, their story has been completely missed by them. Everything they know about their story has been completely like lost in translation one way or another. And he, he starts, and if we could work it backwards, just before he's stoned, he says, you've missed the Messiah. This one you've been waiting for, this guy that you've, you've been praying for, this guy you've been seeking after, you missed him. And that gets them upset. And this is what he says. He says, the reason you missed him is because you misunderstood the prophets the reason you miss the Messiah, the reason you miss the gospel is because you misunderstood what the prophets were trying to tell us. And before that, he says, the reason you miss the prophets is because you misunderstood David and Solomon and the house that he would build. And be- before that, he says, the reason you miss David, which made you miss the prophets, which made you miss the gospel, is because you miss Moses. And the reason you miss Moses, because he promised this one to come, you thought it was David, you missed that. And he says, the reason you missed Moses is because you didn't understand Jacob and Joseph. Then he goes on to say, "The reason you didn't understand Jacob and Joseph is because you absolutely didn't understand Isaac and the story of Isaac and Ishmael and who the son of promise was and what all that looked like." And he goes on and on and on. And if you were to r- uh, roll back that sermon in Acts seven, he starts from the very beginning. He says, "The reason you missed this, this, and this, and it causes train reaction, is because from the very beginning you misunderstood this man that is mentioned over a hundred times in the Bible. The Quran mentions him over hundred and forty times there." over and over, you misunderstood at the beginning of his arguments, Abraham. The reason you missed all this is because you misunderstood Abraham. And now they're beating their chest because they're pissed because Abraham is their father. Like you don't, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Abraham's a righteous God. What are you talking? Yeah, you misunderstood it. So, so hear the declaration here in Acts 7-2. He starts with Abraham in Mesopotamia and his declaration is you missed the gospel because you misunderstood Abraham. Can you understand what I'm trying to do right now? Okay, we, we completely miss the gospel soaking deep into our heart as God's warm water goes over our cold heart. We miss it because, at the fundamental level, we misunderstand our story the, the, the true story of how this whole thing played out. You know, when I was a, a kid, I didn't have a lot of toys, but. Uh, Um, when I'd go to a friend's house and they had Legos, I really enjoyed playing with Legos. Um, you know, build the blogs or whatever those things were. Um, but I really liked playing with Legos specifically. Um, and, and when I was a kid, I loved them. Now, when I became a dad, um, I didn't know this before when I was a kid, but Legos were actually made in hell. And, um, and so, um, so now as a dad, I get to see Legos and I get to step on them in the middle of the night. And, um, I get to watch my daughter. She literally, don't call CPS. She she pooped out a Lego head. I'm not even kidding, Candace sends me a picture of it and it's a Lego head in her poop, okay? And I'm like, Titus, okay? Um, Now, now, now here's the truth about this. Um, when I was a kid, I enjoyed them, but but here's the I think there's some difference. When I was a kid, you can just play with Legos and connect them however you wanted, but that's not what happens now. Now, because the Lego industry is well brilliant when it comes to business, that you have to buy these sets for Legos. You can't just build. Where's the imagination? So dad gets a 190-step a um a page booklet on how to build a Lego Spider-Man. And here's the problem: if dad messes up on step three and he gets the step 90. It doesn't matter, bro. Break it down and start it again because every single step has to be done in the order because you're gonna be out of peace. Every piece has its particular place. And the same is true when we get to our story. If we misunderstand the very beginning of these directions, if we misunderstand how these Legos are to be put together, then we miss the whole thing like the Jews did and I think for us to understand God's mind as being this Old Testament uh, hater, like Old Testament guy who like just wanted works done is a misnomer. It's not true. That's not how it started. And it's because we don't understand our story. We didn't follow the directions of our Lego set from the very beginning. So um, when, when we get this and, and we see, uh, you know, Stephen declaring that they missed the gospel because they missed Abraham, it's not the first time. Uh, you know, if you were to pick up the New Testament. You would see in Matthew the genealogies of the order we have it. It's so funny, we, we miss this. But uh, as you hit the genealogies, the first thing that says in Matthew 1:1, 1, 1, it says the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham, and then it gets right into the genealogies in, in chapter two or in verse two, and it starts off with who? It doesn't start off with Adam. It doesn't start off with, with uh, Seth, or it doesn't start off with Cain or Abel. It doesn't even start off with Noah, because that might even be a logical place. It starts with Abraham. But would any of the jews say they're not sons of noah or not sons of adam why would it start with abraham what does that what does that mean what what, what do we do with that so we get to uh uh, genesis chapter 12. now here's the thing um before i read it i I think it's i think we need to do justice and understanding because my job today is kind of to lead us through the book of whole book of genesis in, you know 30 minutes um and so I want us to kind of get there, and, and whether you're churched or not church, you may know this, maybe you don't, so I'm not trying to patronize anyone, but here, here's what you probably know. You probably know Genesis 1 and 2 are the story of creation. You probably know that the, the fact that in this moment God creates all living things, he creates man, and he calls it good. And you might also know the following chapter in chapter three is a story where Satan enters into the picture, brings about sin, man chooses not God, and there's brokenness, okay? So we probably know the first three chapters. That's kind of the story. And we need to set up what is going on with Abraham. So these first three chapters are really important. But in chapter four, we get to chapter four, it's the first human interaction after the fall, which becomes super important. So now we see how humans interact once sin has entered the world, and it's the story of, you may know these names, Cain and Abel, okay? And the story goes like this, that God tells him to bring a sacrifice to, to him. And Cain brings a sacrifice, and Abel brings a sacrifice. And God looks down on Abel, Abel's sacrifice, and he, he appreciates it more. He looks upon it more. And Cain doesn't like this. And God looks at Cain, this first human interaction. He looks at Cain, he says, Cain, listen to me, buddy, okay? Um, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to overtake you. Just, just trust me just trust me don't let it trust me don't let don't let sin take you over and we find though adam is a great representation of humanity of all humanity we find cain being a following suit of his father cain chooses to get unbelievably angry about what takes place sin overtakes him and he kills his brother so you might know that story well here's what's crazy The following chapter is the classic, what we would know as like the begats. I mean, I think like whose son is who, whose son is who, right? And so you kind of read this story and all of this lineage, we see that it's getting worse and worse and worse until eventually in chapter six, God comes to Russell Crowe and asks him to build an ark, okay? (laughs) Now, when he tells him to build this ark, he tells him to build this ark because he looks down on all all of humanity and he sees that the thoughts of man are continually wicked, that all they care about is themselves. All they care about is hurting others. All they want to do is sin. And so God wipes away everyone. He saves Noah, his wife, his three sons, their three wives, and the guy who sneaks in the back. He saves all these people, and he begins to play out the genealogies from there. And then it goes to the begats again, because the story of Noah takes place in 6, 7, 8, and 9. We get to Genesis chapter 10. It's the begats again. Here's the sons of Noah. Here's their sons. Here's their sons. All the way into chapter 11. Here's their sons. Here's their sons. Which isn't that exciting, except God kind of throws a bob and weave a a way of saying what these people who who are growing on the face of the earth at the time are like. And he tells a little pithy story called the Tower of Babel. And basically, here's what these people are like. All the sons of Noah are like this. They are growing together. They decide to build a tower so high that they can make a great name for themselves. So God's kind of bob and weave way of saying the generations even following Noah, all they care about is themselves. There is still deep roots of sin. And here's what you need to know. 400 years goes by. God talks to Noah, and it is not for 400 years again does He talk again, 400 years. And so finally, when we read in Genesis chapter 12, which is this new page in in, uh, in the book of Genesis, we get our text, and and what it says is, now the Lord said. So for the first time, He speaks in 400 years. Okay? So what he's about to do in regards to wiping out the earth, he's about to do something different. Let me read a, a quote from you. As you, most of you guys know, I, I love myself some Charles Spurgeon. Um, and he says this, talking about this passage, just kind of setting up where we're going in, in Genesis chapter 12 in, in accordance to the promise. It says, a long period passed without a voice from God. Man seemed left to himself. The nations wandered each a different way. Yet divine grace had not ended its reign. And therefore, before the lamp of God had wholly gone out, the Lord determined to reveal himself and establish his worship in the world. He would select a family to be his peculiar servants. He would manifest himself to the Father and that family of, 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 I'm sorry, and that family and would make with him a covenant. He would reveal to him the great things which he intended to do in the fullness of time. So Spurgeon would declare in this moment something different is happening. He's creating some type of people and maybe we get a glimpse of why Stephen would start here. Maybe we get a glimpse of why Matthew would start here. What happens in Genesis chapter 12 that propels us forward to the rest of our formation, rebellion, exile, and return? Well, we get it. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, as I just said, and the Lord said to Abraham, Stephen tells us in Acts 7-2 that he actually appears before him and says this, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so here's what we get. Remember what has happened over through 11 chapters. God is not talking and suddenly he calls down to Abraham. He says, Abraham, here's the deal. In the midst of your philosophy, in the midst of your culture, in the midst of your religions that you're surrounded, I want you to leave Ur in this moment. Leave your people because I want to make you a great nation. And when I make you a great nation, this is what he declares. He he declares three things that he's going to give him in this moment, which are are really important for us. He's going to give him children. He's going to give him a land. And then he's going to use his family to bless the world. So Abraham, we read in verse four, the next verse goes. So God says, Abraham, leave. I'll make you a great nation. I'll make you a great people. I'll use you to bless the rest of the world. And Abraham goes. And in chapter 12, 13, 13, 14, there is frustration on Abraham's part. There is fear on Abraham's part. There is fighting. There is famine. That's all Fs. You try, okay. Um, so, so there is this, this, Abraham's looking at it and says, now you told me to leave these people. I left. God, what's going on? I mean, how, how much can we relate to this? Like how much is this us? God has told us to do something or asked us to do something and now we look back and say, God, I've done my part. And if we could be honest, Abraham's kind of right. Because all he's experienced is like death, hunger, pain. Now this this goes on, like I said, in 12, 13, 14 until we pick it up in Genesis chapter 15 and that's where we'll camp. I know this is a lot and this is a lot of confusing um, uh, scripture that we're gonna be in, but track with me the best you can because if we can get our minds and hearts around this, I believe wholeheartedly this will change the way we view the gospel, okay? So when we get to Genesis chapter 15, Um, So much so, uh, Abraham being fearful, that God actually starts by saying this. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. He starts with, fear not, okay? So God sees what's going on with Abraham, and he says, fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great, very great. But Abraham said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. In verse four, God responds, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham leaves and does what he's supposed to do, and he's frustrated, and God says, don't worry about this. And Abraham says, what do you mean don't worry about it? You you said I'm going to be this great nation. Sarah and I are way past having children at this point. We're not going to be able to have kids. How can you say not worry about it? We're supposed to go towards this land and we're in Egypt because there's a famine. What do you mean don't worry about it? And God looks at him and says, trust me, man. And he takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. I've said this to be so. Your sons will be as many as the stars. Now, Abraham in verse 6, this, this is classic idea, it just says, And he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I mean, I don't, I don't even know at this point what Abraham could do. He's already like three episodes into this season. He might as well finish this thing. He's already left all of his, his family. So he's like, okay, well, I, I trust you. We're, we're this far into this thing. And so he believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness, but it doesn't end there because this is what happens in verse seven. Track with me, stay with me. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And this is what Abraham responds with. But he said, "O Lord God, How am I to know that I shall possess it? Okay, so here we go. How many of us have been in this place where God says, Son, trust me, daughter, trust me? And we say, How am I supposed to know, God? Give me something. Give me a sign of any kind. I think I've shared this story before, but um, when I first got saved, I was really kind of like, God, I need to know something. And I remember being at home by myself, and I had, I just got this Bible, the study Bible that my pastor had bought me. And I remember looking at this Bible, and I was like, okay, God, if you're real, I'm gonna throw this Bible up, and it's gonna levitate. It's reasonable. (laughs) I threw it up, and I think for a second, it froze, but then it came down, Okay? And it didn't freeze. That was totally making it up in my mind, okay? But I wanted a sign. I wanted God to do something. And so God says, in this moment, trust me, Abraham, Abraham says, how can I know? And this is what God says. You wanna know how you can know? Th- this is how you can know. I wanna make a covenant with you, man. I wanna make a covenant with you. And this is the beginning of the promise. So verse 12, he, he promises these things. So how do we know if this is the case? How can we look at this? And, and this is important to understand the covenant. Um, in their day, it wasn't signing a piece of paper for a contract. I've had the opportunity to do some weddings in my life. When we're done um, with the wedding, we go into the back, the groom signs, the bride signs, I sign, the witnesses sign, and it's a contract. And by every right, the government, law, whatever it is, they are, they are one people, okay? But it's more than that. I talk about this at every wedding I do. It's it's covenantal, okay? But for them, it was way different. It wasn't just signing a piece of paper. This is how they would do. This is how they would sign in a wedding, we would look at the future and we would say, okay, here's all the great things that the marriage is going to bring by us being in union together. But for them, because it's way different in oral culture, they would look at all the bad things that would happen if you broke it. So what they would do is they would take animals, they would cut these animals in half, they would split these animals up. Together, these two men would walk through, making this covenant, walk through these animals, declaring, if we break this covenant, may we be like these animals. Okay, so when he picks it up uh, in in verse 9, he said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half um, other against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of the prey came down and the carcass, Adam drove them. Um, Abraham drove them away. So in this moment, we see he tells them to take these animals, cut them in half, and make this isle. This is taking place. We even read just so you can understand where I'm coming from, and I'm getting my sources in Jeremiah 34:18. It says this: "And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of my covenant that made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between in parts." So this is, the, the idea is, not just, oh, here's how great this is going to happen when we have this union and covenant, but more so, when we break this covenant, may this happen to us. Okay, so this is real confusing and hard for us to understand, but here's what happens. As the animals are split, the two people are supposed to walk through and make this covenant, and we pick it up in verse 12, and this is what it says. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be soldiers in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Verse 14, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out of that great... come out with great possessions. Verse 15, as for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the 14th generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God puts before Abraham, um, this, this takes place, he puts before Abraham, hey, your people are going to be in slavery, which comes to fruition in, in Exodus. Remember, they go into Exodus for 14 generations, and then they're eventually let out. But here's, here's the trick in understanding this. Before this takes place, What's verse, 9, or, uh, verse 12 say? And the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abraham and befo- behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So two men are to walk between these carcasses, but Abraham is asleep. So this covenant is to be made between these two people as God makes promises, the good side of the covenant. This is what it's gonna look like. Your people are gonna be oppressed, but trust me, I'm going to bring them out. Let's walk down this aisle and Abraham is asleep. So what do we find that happens as he makes these promises, all, all that's going to, to take place in verse 17? And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I shall give this land and from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. And he goes on to, on to specify what this land is, which is, is, is a big deal because check it out. Abraham's asleep. Have I said that? He's asleep. And now in this moment, in a symbol of fire, God passes through these animals and he promises that these things are going to take place. So what we have to do in our mind in this moment is say, all the repercussions of this covenant being broken is gonna fall on whoever passes through this thing. But Abraham doesn't pass through this thing. Who passes through the thing? Only God. God by himself passes through the sacrifices in this moment. And this is important because God is saying, Abraham, you wanna know how you're gonna possess it? You wanna know what's going to take place and how it's going to take place? You wanna trust me and I know it's hard? Here's how you can know it for sure. If I don't do what I said I'll do, may I be like these animals. May I take the repercussions of the broken covenant. May I experience the pain. May I experience the mutilation. Now, the truth is, um, God absolutely fulfills his side of the bargain, doesn't he? Because rewind the, rewind the clock for a second. Remember in, in chapter 12, he gives them three things. What does he say? He's going to provide a people, they're going to grow as a nation. He's going to provide him a land, which he does in the Old Testament, both people and land. But the third part was that this people, so on the covenant side, here's what God's going to do. Here's what Abraham is supposed to do. On the covenant side, if God is uh, their God and he is their people, Abraham is to fulfill this covenant by laying out um, God's glory before the nations. Literally, he is to show that he is blessed to be a blessing. Abraham's job is to fulfill follow God with all of his heart so that people can see how he's living this life out and bring glory to God. The problem is we read the Old Testament and over and over and over again, the people of God may hear the word from the Lord and say, you are my people, but very rarely do they ever say, and you are our God. We find failure through the Old Testament over and over and over again, and that causes problems, doesn't it? Because now the covenant that is to be, that God will keep, it's not kept. And and because the covenant's not kept, whoever walked through those offerings, whoever walked through those, those sliced up animals in those moment, they have to suffer the repercussions, don't they? And that's exactly what he does. So God in all of his glory, because they don't keep the covenant, becomes a man. He goes to the cross and he experiences mutilation. He's torn apart like those animals he experiences the repercussions of Abraham and his children's failure. And it changes the game because Jesus comes on the the scene and he says, look at the Old Testament and see that I didn't come to remove the law, I came to fulfill it. He comes and he says, I brought a new covenant. Matter of fact, when you read your Old and New Testaments, the, the, the more accurate word would be Old Covenant, New Covenant. So it's really important that he brings this fulfillment of what's taking place. And the truth is, yes, God gave them a land and gave them a people. But there's something more going on here. Did God fulfill his covenant? And we find the answer in Galatians. So if you can turn there, I think it'd be really important. Galatians chapter 3. This is what it says after talking about um, all the people of God Christians specifically, their, their um, faith having to do with being led by the Spirit for early on, but now they're trying to turn it into works. They're trying to do things. They're trying to do things to be children of Abraham. They're trying to do things. And he says, that's not how it happened. And in verse 7, this is what he says. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. <laughs> now this changes everything. Because suddenly we, we, the dominoes begin to fall and we remember in Romans that not all Jews who are the lineage of Abraham are, 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 are part of that family. I mean, Romans 2.28, he who circumcised at heart is a Jew. We're told over and over in, in Romans 10.1 that there's actually Jews who have zeal, but they're not saved. So suddenly the people of God don't have so much to do with lineage, but Paul says it has everything to do with faith. Well, why is this the case? Rewind the clock. Because from the very beginning, the reason the Jews looked at Abraham and they says, he was righteous and they are correct, he was. But You know where they missed it? He was righteous because he believed. He was righteous because he had faith. As God puts the stars before him, God says, or Abraham says, I don't know how you're gonna do this and I don't even trust the promise per se, but I trust you. And they missed it. So what does Stephen say that they're missing from the prophets and David and Moses and Jacob and Joseph and, and Isaac and Abraham? They're missing the gospel and that they're missing, it has everything to do with God doing what he said he'll do. It has everything to do with God fulfilling the covenant. It has everything to do with God, not you conjuring up faith, Not you doing the right things. It has everything to do with God. That you would sit back on on some mornings or some nights and you'd be frustrated that you didn't read your Bible and you would lay there feeling like God's upset or you missed a, a Sunday service and you feel like God's upset. And it didn't matter on you because God fulfilled the covenant. You didn't fast enough. You didn't pray enough. You didn't memorize enough scripture. God fulfilled the covenant. You didn't do your part. God fulfilled the covenant. It was from the very beginning, our story, the Jews' story, the people of God's story started and it ended with faith. And, and read it again know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And it, it gets only more poetic when he says this in verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, hear this preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, identified his faith. But did you catch what eight said? Rewind the clock for us, Stephen. Tell us how we miss all these. What did we miss from the very beginning? Abraham beforehand received the gospel. The same way we look at Jesus atoning for our sins the same way we look at Jesus backwards and trust Abraham looked forward down the corridors of time and says I know you'll fulfill this I believe in you I trust that you will do it and now we can see and I hope you can see this please hear this please hear this okay don't don't let like Cain like sin is at your door and it's crouching and it desires to overtake you. Don't get upset because God looks at your offering and doesn't like it. Like you did something so awesome. Like, wow, he's on my team. That doesn't happen. Okay. So it's not your offering. It has nothing to do with your offering. God is not pleased by what you bring before him in that moment. It's him fulfilling his covenant. And, though, uh, and and the same is true for us that though we have a choice, we too often choose, like Cain, for sin to overtake us. And you've got to see that God fulfilling the covenant because Abraham messed up, because you messed up, because I messed up. As a church, we've messed up. As a world, we have messed up. And Jesus, God in flesh, takes the repercussions of that covenant. And it's a fulfillment. And now it is those of faith that are his son's. So Stephen's right. You think you're part of a lineage? You think because your parents were saved? You think because you were baptized when you were a baby? You you think because you have Christian friends or went to a Christian school? You think because fill in the blank, God loves you. And I'm telling you, it is not your offering and it's not you fulfilling the covenant. Let me tell a story and and we'll close. Um, I've been hesitant to share the story because I feel like it... um, it pulls on strings but i think it, it depicts really well um how we need to get around this i heard this first from ricardo stewart he's the pastor at the lead pastor at uh, tempe there's a book and i not only do i not remember the author but nor do i remember the book um so my source is um sh- shady at best um <laughs> but but here here's uh here it takes place many of you guys are very familiar with the mississippi river uh runs through louisiana and i gotta be honest i don't even know every, everywhere else it runs through um <laughs> Okay, so um, here's here's what the the author of this book explains. He says there's certain parts of of, um, the the Mississippi River that as it runs, it gets kind of narrow. And um, big boats have to travel travel through the the Mississippi River. So um, what they do is they take these, at these certain areas and certain points, they take these big tugboats and they drop these anchors and they pull the sand and the dirt and the muck that's on the bottom of this area to make it deeper. They pull it off to the side. And then they have these big tractors that pull the sand up um, from where the tugboats um, pulled it. And they make these huge piles to widen and deepen the Mississippi River so boats can travel through. And so what what you basically get is these huge piles of sand um, that are very similar to what we know as like powdered snow. Um, what I mean by that is because the, the, the whole weight of the sand is brought up, it's full of water. Well, the water ends up draining back and the sun hits and, and, and pulls up whatever moisture is left in the sand. And you have like powdered snow. You can step in what looks like this mountain of sand, but you can sink right to the bottom, and people have been known to die because they fall into these these sand holes, and sand fills them, and um, and it kills them. And um, the the author of this book tells a story where these two brothers, you know, uh, are finishing school, we're hitting the summer, and um, these two brothers get out, and they tell their parents they're going to go play. That's fine. Um, The mom says, make sure you're back for dinner. Well, um, as as these brothers are out, it hits about six, seven o'clock at night, kind of passing dinner at this point and they're not back and so they're kind of getting worried eight o'clock nine o'clock ten o'clock um Now they're seriously freaking out. At this point, they've called the police. Um, Man, 11 o'clock, midnight, 1 a.m. They have the whole town up, this small little town, and they're out searching. They have boats trying to make sure, you know, um, that they didn't drown. Uh, They they don't know where these kids are. 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, they can't find these kids anywhere. As we hit 5 and 6, the sun is starting to rise, and you hear this kind of distant sound. I found one. I found one. And uh, all the, the parents and everybody gathers around um, this. The, the the younger brother of the two, the younger brother is completely unconscious, and he's on one of these in one of these sand hills, and he's buried to his neck, completely unconscious. So the parents obviously rush there, and they begin to dig the the younger brother out. And as they're digging him out, digging him out, um, they hit about to his waist, and he comes to. He starts coughing up sand. He's completely out of it. He doesn't know really what's going on. And the mama grabs his little cheeks, and he says, "Listen, buddy, where's your brother?" where is your brother? Where's your brother? And he doesn't, he's still disoriented, right? And the mom just keeps asking, tell us where your older brother is, buddy. Where's your older brother? We got to find your older brother. And finally he realizes the question that's asked and, and he, he doesn't, he you know, calculates everything and, and he starts to cry. And the dad says, buddy, listen, you got to tell us where your brother is. And finally, he just breaks, and he realizes, um, and all the dominoes fall together, and he, he, as, as he's crying, he, he, he doesn't know how to go, he doesn't know what to say, and he looks at his mom with tears in his eyes, and he just simply responds, not even able to, to stare too long, and says, I'm standing on his shoulders. Like, in the moment, the older brother knew that they were not both making it out of there, and the, the only way for the younger brother to make it is if, buddy, you got to hop on my shoulders and you got to get your head above that sand. How, how awful, yet beautiful, yet loving and poetic, yet horrifying is that story. And hear me, it holds nothing. It doesn't hold a candle to what Jesus did for us. That you and me are little brothers standing on his shoulders and he's the only reason our head is above sand. And it is because he is buried and suffocated, feeling alone in this moment, separated from his God, Jesus on the cross, feels the weight that you and I should have felt. He suffers the repercussions of the covenant broken, like Abraham, and he calls a people to trust me. Get on my shoulders because you can't climb out of this by yourself. That's that's the story of God's people. That's the promise that started from the very beginning. That's what we hold on to as God begins this wonderful, awesome story. May he receive glory.